0: Father, lest we think that we are capable of anything on our own, your children just declared to you that we need you every moment because it is solely by your grace that we are able to left foot, right foot through this world to be able to connect with others, to be able to forgive others, to be able to have hope when hope seems like the most impossible dream ever. We know that we can have hope in you our God who bore our sin and bore our shame and died on the cross and yet rose again victorious and in that we have hope alone (laughs) that that love will never fail it will never leave us it will never forsake us and so God with heartfelt thanks and gratitude we declare that we need you we love you and we thank you in the name of your son jesus who was and who is and who is to come amen you may be seated
1: and it's good to be with you guys today Uh, in july we're in the getting to the heat of the summer and uh yes it's it is hot that's very good um there's a lot going on at grace life over the next few weeks if you're looking for a way to connect with your church family a couple of exciting things first of all you may not know this but the nightlife center is planning on moving about two weeks ahead of schedule next saturday is moving day so if you have the ability to help or volunteer someone in your family that's really strong to help uh we're going to be meeting over at the nightlife center around nine o'clock next saturday morning the current one and we're moving everything across the street to the new one the new facility It's off the chain. It's going to be incredible. A lot of people have already been in there uh, volunteering and helping and getting a lot of contract, construction work stuff done. Now comes the hardest part, which is moving everything we have. So uh, that's something. And then in a couple weeks after that, or is it a week or two weeks, we got Day for Hope coming up. Another opportunity to connect with your church family and serve together. So those are two opportunities in the next three weeks. If you want to connect, we would love to have you be involved in those, okay, just to let you know uh, what's happening. We're continuing, my name is Joe Davis, I'm the pastor here, and we're continuing our our series on the life of Joseph called Surviving in Egypt. And for those of you that aren't aware, we've been using Egypt as a metaphor for the world that we live in, surviving in this world, surviving Egypt. This week, week 16 of this series, and we're almost done with it, is called The Prison of Bitterness. Oh boy, that's not a good title, is it? <laughs> oh man, some of you... See, there's two types of people that are about to hear this sermon. There are those that are hearing it and say, man, I need that. There are those that say, man, I don't need that, and they need it. So those are the two types. So don't think you don't need this. But what is it about humans? We have this innate ability to become content and comfortable living with bitterness. Bitterness. And resentment. In fact, we are so good at it, we can go for years, even decades, and make little to no effort to actually resolving it. Or even admit that we're bitter in the first place. And bitterness begins to blind us so much that we, you, us, We can't even see the impact it has on ourselves and everyone around us in every relationship. Now, usually, bitterness is a result of some level of betrayal. Somebody has betrayed you, hurt you, broken your trust, and because of that, you now have become bitter angry and that's a real thing betrayal is a real thing because surviving in Egypt will undoubtedly result in moments of betrayal that fall upon us we've outlined several that Joseph went through here's what we like to do after the initial outburst of emotion and we don't get a resolution here's what we do we just pretend we're tough or we're fine We're okay, or I'm over it. When you really aren't. You're hurt. You're damaged. And you're limping through Egypt. And it's okay to admit that. We have become hindered in our ability to enjoy the supernatural satisfaction with God's presence in our lives because of it. Think about it. How has this cancer of bitterness and resentment hurt our other relationships? You don't even know how it's changed how you interact with people. How about your ability to impact the kingdom? How about the way you do your job? You don't think bitterness affects you on a daily basis in your job? How about your family? See, here's the fact. We really... When it comes to bitterness, we have no way of taking inventory of the damage it's doing until after we resolve it. And we look back, holy cow, I've spent 20 years allowing that to destroy my life. And then you deal with regret. Look, these are calculations that we're unable to make until we are out of the prison of bitterness. Bitterness. And so over the next few weeks, as we come to a conclusion in this Life of Joseph series, we are going to learn about the healing process of bitterness. And this week, as intense as it may be, is just an introduction. And I'm sorry, church, but we have to go here. I've been prepping you for 15 weeks. Now it's going to get real. I hope you're ready. I wasn't here's the passage this week Genesis 42 1 through 8 when Jacob learned that's Joseph's brother and this is about 25 years after his brothers had sold Joseph into slavery 25 years two and a half decades when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt he said to his sons why are you sitting there looking stupid that's the King Joey version it's not actually what he said it's why do you look at one another And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may may live and not die. What is your problem, guys? Are you stupid? We're hungry. They're selling grain in Egypt. All the other nations are going to Egypt to buy grain. Get your butt up and go. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's full brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. How convenient. Remember what happened to Joseph. Thus the sons of Israel, Jacob, came to buy among the others who came. For the famine was in the land of Canaan. That means it wasn't just Egypt, and there were people all over coming to buy grain. Thousands of foreigners. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground joseph don't miss this guys joseph saw his brothers and recognized them but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them where do you come from he said they said we're from the land of canaan to buy food joseph recognized his brothers but they did not recognize him and then joseph remembered the dreams he had of them we look at every uh three applications for every passage we look at the history. What about man? What did he do? And why did he? How, how did he do it? Then we look at the theology or the spiritual application. What about God? What's he doing? And why and how does he do it? And then and only then can you really understand the personal or devotional application. What about me? What am I supposed to do with this? So let's do our work. Let's do the history. I'm talking about this family reunion. First of all, I want you to see we got some hungry Hebrews. <laughs> They're starving. Just like every other nation around, including Egypt, the famine has hit, there's no food around, and we got some hungry Hebrews. Hey, boys, what are you waiting for? Get off your ear ends, go down to Egypt, and buy grain. I'm sure they probably hem and haw. I don't want to go. I don't you go? I don't want to go. All right, let's go. Come on, Benjamin. We have a residue of distrust to deal with. It's also very clear that there is still family dysfunction, Right? among these 12 sons of Jacob. We discussed this family dysfunction. If you remember, for those of you that were here, when we way back when we first started this series on the life of Joseph four months ago, we talked about family dysfunction. It's still there. Jacob has clear favoritism for the sons of his wife, Rachel, which is Joseph and Benjamin, over the sons of Leah, which is all the other ones. So Jacob sends his 10 brothers, the sons of Leah, having Benjamin, Joseph's full brother, younger brother, stay home. Clearly, Jacob does not trust him. Oh, sure. There was the story they told their dad. Listen, an animal came and just attacked Joseph and killed him, and he's dead. But I, deep down, Jacob knows something's not right here. So you 10 go, I'm keeping Benjamin with me. Keep in mind, Benjamin isn't a boy. It's been 25 years. He's mid-30s. So clearly Jacob is suspicious and not just saying, you're too young to go with your brothers. He's a full-grown man. He probably has kids of his own. But Jacob says, you're not going to Egypt with your brothers. I don't trust them. It's been decades. But clearly Jacob never really came to grips with what happened to his favorite son, Joseph. He knew something bad had happened, and he suspects that with the Ten Brothers. So that's the residue of distrust we see here. And then finally it happens. 25 years in the making, after he was sold into slavery, then accused after he got to be uh, run uh, Potiphar's house, the captain of the guard. He is falsely accused of rape, thrown in jail, then he's running the prison. And then by... Uh, a conflux of events. He goes before Pharaoh and interprets a dream, and now he's running all of Egypt. All this stuff has happened. And now he sees his brothers. Now understand, Joseph probably had a thousand people working for him to oversee this process of selling grain during the famine to all these other surrounding countries. But somehow, by some random chance, right, his brothers arrive... And miraculously, Joseph happens to be the one overseeing the store where they are doing the purchases that day in that location. Of all of Egypt, all the cities had these places where grain was sold. They all had them. And he had a lot of people working for him. He's like the big cheese. He probably went to these places maybe once a month just to check them out. And he happens to be in charge of selling grain the day that his brothers arrive with the throngs of thousands of other foreigners to buy grain. They just happened to come face-to-face with Joseph? Instead of the hundreds of officials Joseph would have had as part of his staff, what are the odds of that? And just imagine the flood of emotion and memories that Joseph experiences at the moment he sees all these people come in, and his ten brothers kneel down face-to-face, and he sees them. Can you imagine the pit in his stomach? Oh, my word these scoundrels, and that's probably not the word he used, are back. I forgot how much I hated them for what they did to me. I forgot how angry, I I forgot how I wanted to kill them for what they did to me. For what they did, I got sold into slavery. I got accused of being a rapist. I was in jail for probably eight years. Oh, sure, things are good now, but these guys cost me 15 years, the best years of my youth. Imagine, all of this is cycling through his mind and heart at high speed. Anger, bitterness, revenge. It's such an intense moment in his life. You know, it's funny, right? Because remember, we talked last week about the name he gave his kids and one of his, the oldest son, Manasseh. Remember what he named him? Here's what he named him. God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Oh, yeah? I don't think so. (laughs) Matter of fact, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. I was, I was talking to Derek. We were in my truck, driving around getting stuff for the nightlife center, and Derek, and I was explaining how to Derek how God had given this, or Joseph had given this name, Manasseh, to his son, his oldest son, which was God has made me forget all the things my family did to me. And every time he not, he introduced a son, this is my son, the one who helped me forget everything bad that my family did to me. <laughs> That's sick. And Derek points out, he took all that bitterness he had and unknowingly, he put it right on the shoulders of his son who had no idea what happened. Do you see how the bitterness had affected Joseph? He had become so self-deceived that God has made me forget everything, that, everything bad that ever happened. So much so that I'm going to name my son. You make me forget everything bad that ever happened. And every time he says, Manasseh, he remembers, oh yeah, bad things happen. He has been living in denial. And check this, I've been sitting on this all week. He's been living in denial, and it ain't just a river in Egypt. Come on now. I've been waiting on it all week. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. All right. <laughs> Here's something else that happens. Joseph is unrecognizable. Decades later he certainly looks different now. He's not a teenage shepherd anymore. He's a full-grown man with kids of his own. He's kids of his own. He's an Egyptian ruler with robes that Egyptian haircut kind of look, I'm sure, right? He looks like Egyptian. He doesn't look like Joseph. He doesn't look like a Hebrew anymore. He looks like an Egyptian. The brothers have no idea who he is. They don't recognize Joseph. They have no clue, but Joseph recognizes them for sure. I think this is grace, in my opinion. I mean, what would have been more frightening for his brothers? To face a foreign ruler that seems a little impatient with them? Or to face a ruler they know is the one they betrayed to such a high degree that they threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and told his dad that he was dead? Which would have scared them more. And he treats them like strangers because they don't know who he is. And he makes it very clear to them that he's in charge and they're at his mercy. So that's the history. Intense, right? Let's look at the spiritual. What about God? I want to talk about how Joseph is forced to deal. Now I hear this phrase, I can't deal. I just can't deal. Sometimes you're forced to deal. And I want to talk about decades of denial I mean, right, this, this is part of the story, and I did some research, I, did some, I looked at other places, other people who preached through this or whatever. This is so obvious, yet nobody seems to really recognize it, right? It's so obvious. Joseph is a bitter, angry man. Am I missing something here? For 25 years, he's been calling his son, you who makes God forget, God has made me forget everything that ever bad happened to me by my family, And then his brothers show up, and it's very clear, I haven't forgotten. In spite of all that is now going Joseph's way, he still has, as he's running Egypt, this cancer eating at him, robbing him of the joy of knowing his heavenly dad. Clearly, Joseph had not forgotten. In fact, each time he called his son's name, it was, no doubt, a reminder. Joseph is playing tough guy for decades. But he never got over what they did to him. He basically ran Egypt for like 14 years. If he wanted to reconcile with them at any moment, he above anyone else could have. He had all the resources, the money, the power, the time. Go find my brothers, bring them here. If he wanted to reconcile, he could have done it years ago. He did not. He was comfortable living in bitterness, anger, resentment, and denial. But God forces the issue. As we said, Joseph had no intention of reconciling with his family. He certainly had access and the means to do it. He was content with never seeing them again. Bitterness had become acceptable and comfortable. And after 25 years, God says, enough. Enough! It is time for my child Joseph to get rid of this burden and fulfill his full true destiny. And it is not just to run Egypt. It is to enjoy me. He doesn't even know it. It's time for him to get rid of this cancer that's been eating at him. Today's the day. I'm going to fix it. And God reveals his hand. It says, when Joseph sees his brothers bowing down, he remembers when he's a young boy, like when he was 14 or 13, when he went to his father and his brother said, listen, I had a dream. I'm just going to tell you what the dream said, guys. God says to me that one day all of you are going to bow down to me and worship me. And the scripture says that they were not happy with that dream. Genesis 37, if you guys remember this, he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, gathering up grain. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him. They hated him before. Now they hate him even more for his dreams and for his words. The brothers come in, they bow down, and he says, oh my gosh, I've dreamt about this. It's been decades since I even thought about it. This memory certainly allows Joseph to see that God is at work here. It's a supernatural intervention and he knows it. As hard as it is, Joseph knows as much, he'd much rather not have to see his brothers. Couldn't they have just come where one of my assistants was running the shop? Clearly God is bringing these guys back into my life. As hard as it is, Joseph knows this is a God moment. No denying the incredible circumstances surrounding all of this in front of him. And he's processing a ton of data right now, spiritual, emotional, emotional, Personal, political, it's an overwhelming moment. God bringing Joseph's brothers to him is yet another amazing gift from God to Joseph, but he certainly doesn't see it as a gift at first. It's a problem that he doesn't want to deal with. Okay, personal. What about us? I've entitled this, part living in the light. So this was my social media campaign this week. Even when life is smooth and shiny, trust me, you are all swimming in dysfunction. You are. You may not think you are. Job's going great. Kids are great. Family's great. Car's running great. The roof on the house is fine. You're dysfunctional. I promise you, you are. It's amazing the level of unresolved bitterness and dysfunction we are willing to live with, even as Christians. I mean, we're Christians. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. We even sing about it, we talk about it, we read in the Scripture, but we don't live it. We just become numb to it. We even forget that the bitterness is there. Yet all along, it's having a horrible impact. And like I said early on in the message, there are two types of dysfunctional people here today. Those of us that know we're dysfunctional and those of you that don't. Your pastor is mega dysfunctional, right? My wife will tell you. She'll tell you, just go, is he really dysfunctional? Oh yeah, she'll tell you. (laughs) We're all dysfunctional. Even if you think you have it all together, beautiful family, nice house, good job, you go to church, Sometimes (laughs) you are surrounded by friends that love you and you love them. Man, life is blessed. You're still dysfunctional. We're full of dysfunction, just like Joseph was. We're all a mess, even the shiny ones. And today, starting for the next couple of weeks, I am challenging you, us, me, all of us, to have the guts and the courage to admit it. And then I want us to to have some bravery for the next part. I want to talk about roots of bitterness. The scripture talks about roots of bitterness. A root is a picture of something that is below the surface that is poisoning everything else above it. That's what the idea of a root of bitterness is. It's below the surface. You can't see it when you're walking in the garden. But there could be a root of bitterness that can kill a tree and spread to other plants. That's what bitterness is. It is a root under the surface looking to destroy you, poison you. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 29, uh, verse 18b, it says, beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. And Paul borrows this concept in Hebrews twelve, fifteen. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many, not just you, but many, become defiled. Can you imagine what would have happened if Joseph and his family had never been reconciled? That they just died in Canaan of hunger? Imagine the regret that he would have felt if his family had died in the famine and he discovered later why didn't I just look for them? I mean, yeah, they're scoundrels, but I could have, I was totally within my power to save them, and I did nothing. I pretended like I was okay and I was not. I should have helped them. That's what my God would have had me do. How many of them would have died? Is it possible that one of his brothers, Judah, would have died, who, by the way, was the line of Christ? Uh-oh. Now we're talking about how it would have impacted us had they not ever reconciled. See, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, they are all long-term poisons the enemy loves to use to destroy people and churches and families. These root causes break relationships, create destructive habits, isolation, unwise life choices the list of effects is long and gruesome let's pray no i'm just kidding i've got better stuff hold on i'm just kidding <laughs> i want to talk about healing through humility so joseph is number 2 in egypt he doesn't need his sorry family he's fine without them can you see how joseph had become a victim of arrogance He needed to be humbled, to be healed. I mean, how can we know the consequences of refusal to deal with these things? Joseph had no idea. Joseph had no idea that his decision to not reconcile with with his family could possibly have an impact on my salvation. No Jesus. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. You see, when you can't forgive, you're very short-sighted about what you have been forgiven for. I mean, how arrogant... Can we be to live in denial and refusal? How callous to ignore the impact of our bitterness and what it has on the others around us. It's not just your bitterness. When you have bitterness, it's everyone's bitterness. I love what Isaiah says Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. You see how he combines bitterness with destruction? For you have cast all my sins behind your back. You want the first step to dealing with the root of bitterness in your life? The key is this humility that heals us from bitterness. By recognizing God's mercy on your own sinfulness. Without this humility, we, you, will never be able to escape the prison of bitterness and the impact it has on all those around you. Ephesians 4:31 to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander I love, how, I love how Paul just makes sure, oh you, oh, you have bitterness but anger, not anger? Okay, I'm make sure I put that in there too. Oh, you don't have bitterness and wrath and anger but you have clamor? I'm putting that in there. Oh, you're okay with the first three but you have slander? Okay, fine. He just loves to make sure he covers all his bases, right? He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all, just in case you didn't have those but you had malice, along with all malice. <laughs> you got any of those? We got it covered. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and slander and everything else and malice be put away. Why? Because you got to remember you were forgiven. I mean, as great a man as Joseph was, and he really was, do we really want to emulate this part of his life? There's plenty of things to emulate. This ain't one of them. Do we really want to waller in a cesspool of bitterness for 25 years like he did? So if that day comes where God forces you to deal face-to-face with your bitterness like he did for Joseph, will you be ready? Are you willing? Do you want to receive and provide the healing we desperately need to be set free from this prison of bitterness? And what if, and this is possible, what if we are unable to reconcile with the person that is a target of our resentment and bitterness? Maybe they've died. Maybe they just don't want to speak to you. We're going to learn over the next couple weeks what it means to learn to live in a state of forgiveness as opposed to a state of bitterness. But here's the real question. Are you willing to pray to God today that he would force you to deal with your bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment? All right, that's a scary prayer. It's easy to pray right here in this building at the end of the sermon. What about tomorrow morning when you wake up? God, please force me to deal with this. Force me. I'm tired of the root that's poisoning everything in my life. We will learn so much from Joseph over the next few weeks as we kind of wind up this series. But church, make no mistake, this this last story of Joseph and his reconciliation with his family, this is the most important lesson that I think that I can teach you about how to survive in Egypt. Because I'll tell you right now, you learn all the lessons, that's great. You don't deal with this one Your walk with Christ will suffer. Your relationship with others will suffer because you are arrogant and selfish and unforgiving. The antithesis of what Christ has done for you. Dad, I pray for our church as individuals, there are some who have no idea what bitterness they have in their life. Some of them, as I was preaching, they, were, they had names going through their head. <laughs> Cycling like this one and that one and that one. Scary stuff. This is hard. I pray, God, that you would give them humility and the peace to know that you have taken their sins and thrown them behind your back. Give them humility and brokenness. So that you can begin the process of removing the cancer of bitterness, not just for their
0: benefit, but for ours.